In this era of grave spiritual crisis, it is not enough to simply know about your Catholic faith. That is why we need a Catholic toolbox to equip us with the practical skills necessary to live our Catholic faith to reach our ultimate goal, which is heaven for all eternity. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Join us every Tuesday night at 8pm for the Catholic Toolbox as we hand you the tools to go forth, live the faith and change our modern world today. Live on The Voice of Charity. Welcome back to another week on the Catholic Toolbox, the art of practical Catholicism. I'm your host and founder, George Manassa, here as we equip you with practical tools to live your faith in our modern world of today. And a very important aspect of living our modern world today is to live the call to be a man. So this week, we're trying to become men and become better men. So welcome back, Dick and Harold, back into the show. Familiar face. Yeah, thank you, George. Always great to be here with you on the Catholic Toolbox. Excellent. It's such a great pleasure to have you. And uh, we're excited um, to see you later later in this year, actually, coming back to Sydney. Yeah, I'm very much looking forward to it, doing a uh, speaking tour there with my good friend, Sonia Corbett. And we're going to be talking about uh, our, our book called Ignite, Read the Bible Like Never Before. So we're going to be talking about how to engage God's word in a, in a very powerful and meaningful way in your life. So very excited about that. Excellent. And you'll be launching my book as well, my second book, The Art of Practical Catholicism, number two. So that'd be That's uh, right. July, July 20th. Uh, for everybody listening here, we'll be having the details up through Perusia, through the tour for a cocktail night, uh, meeting great with Deacon and launching my book. Uh, so we're, we're excited actually to have you back. Um, it felt like yesterday you were here and uh, it's really exciting. It's really exciting times this year. So let's go straight to the topic. What does it mean to be a man in a world full of confusion? I mean, we just had, uh, we're just having a culture war here in Australia. I don't know if you saw about the whole, the elections that we have here and the whole transgenderism and the issues there. But what does it mean to be a man in this confusing climate, Deacon? Yeah, that that's a great question. Um, you know, because you're right, the, the gender roles are being confused right now, and it's become a thing where what it means to be a man and a woman are being separated from the body, are being disassociated from uh, from sex. You know, as as far as the distinction between male and female. You know, so instead of the objective realities of science and 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 DNA. Um, it's it's become a social construct. It's become a a subjective reality where I determine and my feelings determine what it means to be male and female, and, and uh, you know that that's so far afield uh, from from what God's plan is. Because we know in the Book of Genesis, uh, chapter one, uh, it says that you know God created them male and female, and, and it's these two beautiful complementary aspects 
that really help us to see ourselves in God, uh, biologically distinct as, as male and female. And so, yeah, so there's some, obviously some, some uh, uh, again, focusing on scripture, some commonalities, right? So when God creates man and woman, uh, they recognize that, that they have some things in common. First of all, they're both superior to all the other creatures that God has created, right? Uh, they are endowed with what's called preternatural gifts. So these are gifts that were, were given them by the very nature of their relationship with God prior to the fall. So there's, for example, no death, uh, no concupiscence, and infused knowledge, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, they were also, they also both can are, are self-conscious and self-aware. They they can know themselves. They are aware of themselves, mm -hmm. um, and they can also know God, right? Yeah. And the beautiful thing is they get to know God together, but in a way that images God's Trinitarian life. So how does that work with man, with man and woman? So obviously God is not male or female, right? God has no sex because God is God, right? God is 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 uh, a spirit, mm -hmm. but. Um, but so, so where does this male and female aspect come from, from God? So God, uh, so when the church tries to understand God, well, you can't fully understand God or, or else you'd be God, right? The only person that can understand God fully is God. Even when we die and go to heaven, we'll never fully understand God, but there are things we could come to know about God that has been revealed to us, right? And the fullness of, of that revelation of, of how we can get to know God and our finite, limited human uh, capacities and abilities is Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. He's the fullest of that revelation. Um, and so Jesus reveals to us, for example, God is a father, right? Uh, and, and that, uh, so the, the church teaches that uh, God has kind of this inner life, what's called, and it, it, the church uses fancy language, uh, circumcision or divine perichoresis. So all that really means is that it, it talks about the life of God within himself, right? Yeah. So the, the the love between the father and the son, and the, the son gives love, life, intimacy, and communion back and forth to each other. The love between the two of them generates the third, which is the Holy Spirit, who gives himself fully and completely back in love and communion back to the father and the son. So that, that life, that inner life of God, in a sense, in a human way, we would say it would be God's heart, right? God's inner life. That is where I believe God pulled from where he created woman, right? That that, that femininity, if you will, was pulled from God's very heart. Well, uh, we even call women the heart, the heart of the, the home, the heart of the family. Whereas God also has this outer life. And the church describes that as the oikoinomia in Greek or the economy of salvation, the working of salvation. Uh, how God manifests itself in history, in time, right? And so we see that in the Old Testament, how God re revealed himself through prophets and through great men and, and women of the Old Testament, of course, in, through Jesus Christ in the New Testament, and how God works in salvation. That at outer life, right, uh, is, is, I think, where God pulled from, If again, using finite human limited language, uh, yeah. only by analogy, Um uh, that outer life where he pulled, where he created man. And so we see this reality in the book of Genesis chapter two, where he puts the man in the garden to till and to keep it. 
And the, the word till is abad in Hebrew, which means a work that's in the form of service. And to keep is shamar, which means to protect and defend. So he puts the man in the garden and gives us his mission, his purpose, his vocation, and his calling to serve, protect, and defend everything that's being entrusted to him. And so because God exists as a family, as a community of persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, the family on earth has to be the image and likeness of the family in heaven. So God puts the man to sleep and takes out a rib and builds up a woman, right? And then brings her to the man. So he creates someone that comes from him, but yet perfectly, and again, in an earthly way, in anticipation of the marriage feast of heaven, we see that in Revelation 19, verse 9, um, in anticipation of that heavenly wedding feast, the consummation of fullness and relationship with God, uh, that's shown in in a, in a um, earthly way through the woman, right? Who, in, who, who in, in a sense, completes and, and perfects and perfectly complements him. And it's precisely because of the differences, the complementarity uh, and the differences between the two that they're able to have unity, right? And, and so just like you have uh, father and the son that generates the life of the third, who gives love and life back to the other two, you have a, a father and a, a, a wife, a man and a woman who, who in love create a third children who give love and life back to the, their mother and father. So, I, I, so we, we see there the, the, the beautiful unity, but yet the great distinctiveness and the uniqueness of man and woman created in the image and likeness of God. I mean, that's absolutely beautiful. That's, that's so deep and and very detailed as well. So, so I think it's quite clear, you know, the role, what is a man? And, and I want to start off by also asking, uh, what is the crisis in masculinity today? I think people, society knows there's something odd, something wrong. Men don't feel like men. Uh, women don't think men are being men. What do you think from, uh, from your observation is a societal issue at the moment in masculinity today and probably even Catholic masculinity, you might want to touch on Catholic masculinity as well. Yeah. So in my book um, called behold the man, a Catholic vision of male spirituality. Uh, I start off the book talking about the crisis of contemporary masculinity. Um, and I, and I mentioned in there that the Catholic man is an endangered species Right? When we think of an endangered species, we think of an animal that's on the verge of extinction. Right, and, and I make the point in the book that unlike other species that can trace the path of their extinction back to an extrinsic cause, that means something outside of itself, like overhunting, overfishing, um, you know, that kind of thing. Catholic men, we're destroying ourselves by our own free will choice. So when we choose pornography, for example, we choose to exploit women and, and, and destroy the very heart of God's love. Uh, we choose that over the one flesh union of the conjugal intimacy in matrimony, you know, or the, or the beauty of celibate life. You know, um, uh, we, we, we cause our own extinction. We choose abortion and contraception over serving, protecting, and defending uh, a woman's dignity and helping to build a culture of life, we can contribute to our own extinction. Um, when we choose spiritual sloth and laziness over witnessing 
to the truth of our faith with passion and conviction when we we choose sports over going to mass, for example. Um, you know, and what's happened, George? We've become timid. We've become we've stopped leading. We we no longer desire holiness. Uh, we've compromised our values, and we've we've abdicated our responsibilities as as men. Um, we're, we're created for greatness, but instead we choose to be purveyors of immorality and mediocrity. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and and I think that's that's really uh, the the kind of the crux of the problem today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think you've summarized that well. Uh, men are not leading, protecting, and providing, and I think we've become timid. Really, really, t- a culture of timidity, and um, yeah, j- just that issue there. But let's, let's yeah. Well, no, no, I I think you're you think you're absolutely right, and um, you know, and think uh, we're seeing the effects of this in the culture. Right, because look, look what happens. I mean, the, the the way I think God designed it. You have strong men, right? You have strong families. Yep. You have strong families. You have a strong church. You have a strong church. You have a vibrant and rich and dynamic culture, right? And, and so we see a culture that's turned in on itself. So if we if we peel back the layers, if we see the disorder and the chaos and the confusion in society, we see the breakdown of the family. Uh, break, uh, the breakdown of the church and because you know right now even within the church we have all kinds of confusion look what's going on with the german bishops um uh we, we we're, we're lacking i think very clear unambiguous teaching in the church which is what which is exactly what we need right now in a culture that's confused and disjointed you know we need clarity and we're not getting that right now you know so uh and if we we, we peel that layer back you know we see a breakdown of the family Right, but divorce and pornography and and all the things, the attacks against the family. And if you take that one step back, you see we don't have strong men. So I'm not just blaming fathers and husbands and families, but also priests. Right, priests are fathers. We call them fathers. They're yeah. fathers of families. So if you have weak fathers leading church families, you're going to have a, a weak church and a weak society. You know. So I think all of that is, is working together. So we really need a a resurgence of a, a proper understanding of male spirituality um, so that we can start rebuilding our church and our culture. Yeah, you really uh, nailed it there when you said this issue has infected all of society. It's even infected the church where you see, yeah, the German bishops um, freely voting. I think they voted the other week for uh, blessing same-sex unions, but silence from uh, <laughs> uh, silence from uh, just from other prelates uh and uh but there's clarity on other things but <laughs> there just seems to be such a uh, we need strength in the tr- and we also in politics as well how many how many leaders yeah. around the world are not fighting for justice not fighting for their own people we see the issues all around the world i think it, this is infected Fathers is infected the church. This is infected politics. We really have to uh, really turn our culture away. And and what's the antidote to this, Deacon? I know you write in your tremendous book, Behold the Man, and I really recommend everybody get a copy of that, Behold the Man by Deacon Harold Berg Sivers. Uh, you can get it through Perusia Media here in Australia or around the world. You can buy it uh, wherever you buy your books. So Behold the Man. 
Um, uh, but let's get into the antidote. What do you think the antidote, the general antidote to this cultural problem is? Like, where do we start? That's the, <laughs> that's the problem. <laughs> I think many people don't yeah. start. Do we protest? Do we... Uh, do we work slowly do we uh, uh do what do we do yeah that that's a great question and you know uh and that's a question we've been asking ourselves in, since the beginning right because remember um adam failed right mm-hmm. in the sense that um when when satan was in the garden in genesis chapter 3 and Satan was going after his family, right? He went after the woman first, not because she wasn't as intelligent as him, not because she wasn't as smart as him, because she's the life giver, right? She's the one that brings forth and bears life. And Satan is the author of death. And so he goes after the one who gives life. And and his job was to serve, protect, and defend her, and he didn't do it. He stood by and said and did nothing, you know? Uh, and, and But then we see, you know, God in his infinite wisdom you know, uh, it was the family that Satan tried to destroy. So God uses the holy family, right? And we see Joseph playing a prominent role in that family, even though notice that there's not one recorded word that Joseph says anything in the entire scriptures, not one word, yeah. but his actions spoke louder than his words. So uh, when when Adam failed by his silence, by not standing up and defending his wife, Joseph succeeds by his silence by actively carrying out everything that God called him to do. And, and this is something actually, it's, 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 it's no surprise that Joseph is the one that carries this out. Because remember in Matthew's gospel, uh, Joseph, Matthew starts off with that long genealogy where Joseph is descended from Abraham through David, yeah. right? And you have all those, that, all those generations uh, that, that go uh, from Abraham to uh, David, David to the Babylonian exile, from the Babylon, Babylonian exile down to Joseph. Um, and so we see uh, Joseph taking charge of, of that family. Uh, and, and I think Joseph was following uh, David because you look in 1 Kings chapter 2, you see the, you know, the, uh, the opening of that chapter is about David's death. And, and David's son Solomon is standing before him. And he says to his son, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man. So think about it. The, the greatest king in the history of Israel, which is David, who wasn't perfect, right? Remember Bathsheba, right? I mean, so, but, but he's still an actually the apostle called the man after God's own heart because he was the only king that never worshiped another God. You know, he, he, he did some, he did some stuff. He, he's a sinner just like the rest of us, but he was the only one that didn't um, worship a false God, worship another God. Uh, but he says to his son, you know, you're about to inherit, um, you know, uh, becoming king after me. He doesn't talk about riches and gold and and, and wine and all, and all the things that, you know, that come with being king. He tells his son to be a man, but he continues. He doesn't just tell him to be a man. He tells him how he must be a man. He said, uh, you have to keep charge of the Lord, your God, walking in his ways, keeping his statutes, his ordinances his testimonies, his commandments, um, as, as written in law of Moses. And, and if you do this, son, you will prosper in everything that you do. So that's beautiful. So he tells his son, look, if you are to succeed in being a true man, a true leader of the, of the society and of your, of your own family, you have to follow the ways of the Lord. 
And then he then he even goes beyond that because David recognizes I'm not going to see my grandchildren. So he says, son, this message is not just for you. This is for your children and their children and their children after that. So he says, if your sons take heed of their way and walk before the Lord in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, there should not fail you a man on the throne of Israel. Right. And I think that's something that Joseph took to heart. Wow. He, he took that beautiful lesson that that David taught and, and he carries down to Joseph and that still carries forward to us today. And, and the way that that's lived out is through Ephesians, uh, Ephesians chapter five, that uh, St. Paul uh, uh, talks about that. I think that's those are the key verses there in Ephesians five that helps us to restore a Christ like understanding of authentic manhood and male spirituality. I mean, that's beautiful. I mean, he gave him some really good uh, practical tools to take action with manhood. So let, let's look at let's look at classical, uh, so the Roman understanding of manhood, uh, where, where virtue comes from, um, and and sort of looking at a rite of passage to manhood. Do you believe they can? Because I know culturally, many different cultures had this idea of building up virtue. It started with the Romans. You build up, you build up skills. You learn how to fight. You learn chivalry, um, and then you are given a rite of passage where you prove yourself, and then you're a man. You're recognized in the community. Do you think there's somewhat of a culture, something missing culturally, where we need in the West? I know some cultures still have that, especially uh, our Jewish brothers uh, uh, who and sisters who, who do have a bar mitzvah, uh, uh, where they build themselves up, they and, and then they are recognized as a man. I, I love the Jewish bar mitzvah uh, and uh, the, the whole principle of uh, you are now a son of the law. Do you think we're missing something on a cultural level uh, with, with the rites of passage and building it up, do we need something there that, that needs to be revived in the West? Yeah, I think that's a great observation. And, and you're right. You know, there are many cultures like our Jewish brothers and sisters have bar mitzvahs. We have in, in our country and in Australia, too, the, the, the aboriginals and in our country, the Native Americans uh, have rites of passage. You know, uh, for us in our country, the Native Americans, their sons will go on what's called a vision quest. Right. They would send their sons out into the wilderness for like three or four days and they would have to uh, survive, you know, um, with nothing. But I think they gave them a spear and that was it. They had to go out and survive in the wilderness uh, for several days. And they were taught how to do this by their fathers. And when they came back, they were in fact, in, in, uh, they were given a mark or a scar. Same thing in many uh, of the nations uh, of different tribes on the continent of Africa. You know, they uh, once a, a, a child goes through this ritual and becomes a man, he's given a scar or a mark to show his sign of manhood. And, and I think, you know, what the problem is in the West, you know, we have a crisis of fatherhood, right? We have many fathers who are not truly being fathers in their families, not witnessing to, to God's fatherhood, right? Because remember, God allows us men to borrow his sacred name, Father, right? For the brief time that we're on this earth. And so, um, you know, we, we are called to be fathers in the, again, in the image and likeness of how God is father, 
right? Uh, and so we've lost that. So I think I think it's a wonderful idea to restore this sense of fatherhood through some kind of ritual action. You know, I, I think that that'd be wonderful. So you, you're seeing, for example, a lot of uh, father-son retreats, at least in the United yeah. States, we're seeing a kind of resurgence of father and son retreats where they're sure. they're yeah. going and discovering God together, yeah. you know? Um, and, and I think it'd be fun to create some kind of rite of passage. I know there's some um, authors here in the United States who have written on on this topic of, you know, creating rituals for, for boys so that, you know, they, they become men, but not just any man, like we talked about before, godly men, yeah. right? Men who respect women and res respect themselves and who, who and whose uh, model for headship, leadership, and authority is rooted in Christ, right? Christ says, I've not come to be served, but to serve. The greatest among you is the least. So it's that Christ-like servant leadership model, you know, the, um, that fathers pass to their sons that I think is missing. And I think once, if we start to rebuild that again, we'll start to see uh, these young men, instead of being on their slave to their technology, slave to their phones, they become slaves of Jesus Christ instead. I think what's also lacking, Deacon, is is this sense of fraternity. Men don't have groups, fraternal groups that sort of uh, uh, allow them to um, allow them to uh, sort of bond with each other and grow in human virtue. I mean, in the Middle Ages and in the Crusades, we had the orders of chivalry, and we still have the orders of chivalry today. Uh, we have different clubs. I mean. This is probably why people sometimes men join gangs, uh, uh, you know, to fit in. I think it's in our nature. We do need a fraternal group, a brotherhood, uh, and that can be centered around the faith. We, we, I think we also need to restore groups that uh, that have codes of chivalry, um, uh, which which follow a certain code and live by the faith that are Catholic. I think these are good ideas, even on a local level, a diocesan level. I think it's important that men have fraternal groups. So even after they reach 15 or 20 and you do a rite of passage or a party or let's say a father-son camp or a camp with, and then you prove yourself, <laughs> it's good to be part of a fraternity. I think it, that sort of sharpens iron with iron. I don't know. I, I just feel you need that those fraternal groups. What are your thoughts on that, Deacon? Yeah, absolutely. I, I'd agree. I mean, because think about it. When Jesus came um, and instituted his public ministry, he did so with a group of men around him, right? The apostles, right? So you had the disciples who were a group of men and women, but his core group that were around him were a group of 12 men, right? And so, yeah, and we, and we have fraternal groups like we have, you know, uh, we have uh, Boy Scouts, Right. You have, um, uh, you know, groups like Knights of Columbus and things like that. But I, I think what we what we're needing is a deeper spiritual element to this to, uh, to, to this um, uh, to this manhood. Right. To, to this gathering as men. So you have groups like um, uh, you have men's programs in parishes where they're doing uh, things like that man is you. Right. Or, or different program where men are coming together deliberately and purposely to deepen their relationship and intimacy with God by building and strengthening their relationship and fraternity with each other. You know, so uh, I think every man needs to be part of a, of a, of a man's group. Uh, and there's incredible resources. For example, there's heroic men, uh, heroic men.com. 
uh, has the best resources literally in the world for men. And it's all free, you know? Uh, so there's no excuse uh, why you can't grow to be a strong man of God. But I, I totally agree with you, George. It has to be done in fraternity. Because think about it. Even Jesus needed help carrying his cross, right? So, so if the Lord... Uh, even needed help in his, his his greatest battle against sin and death. Don't you think that we also need to bind together as as men? And and one last thing, Ephesians chapter six. And I, when we talk about at the end, we talk about practical tools. I'll go into this in the, in the more detail with practical tools for men. But Ephesians chapter six, Saint Paul talks about the armor of God, right? The sword of the spirit, breastplate of righteousness. Uh, uh, gird your feet with the gospel of peace. Uh, gird your loins, right? All those things. Um, he's describing a Roman soldier's uniform. And if you look at the description in Ephesians 6, you see that every part of the body of the soldier is covered except for the back. Mm -hmm. The back is, is open and exposed. Why? Because the way that the Roman soldiers fought, they expected the, the, the soldier fighting next to you to protect your back. That's where we get the idea I got your back. That's yes. where that expression comes yes. from, right? Yes, and so we need to have each other's backs as men. And we do that in community and in fraternity. Yeah, that's absolutely amazing. We'll get we'll get through to that in the practical tools. So what does it mean with respect to our Lord to be a man? And how can our Lord help us? To be a man, and how is he the example of being a man? That's a, I think that that's how we can conclude all things are fulfilled in Christ. So I think he's the summation of of everything that God has revealed and being a man. But what are your thoughts, Deacon? Yeah, here I think we need to turn the attention to what St. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5. And for some reason, these verses 21 through 31 are controversial. Uh, because when you, for example, when they read at mass, right, we read in verse 22, wives be submissive to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of his wife. You know, a, a, a verse 24 says that wives should be submissive in everything to their husbands, right? So when you hear that with 21st century ears, that sounds like, oh my goodness, that's so archaic and you know, so draconian and, you know, so misogynistic and, you know, but it, it's actually the complete opposite, the exact opposite. Because what's, what's Saint, what is St. Paul doing here? If you look at what he's doing in verse 21, he, first of all, he says, be sub subject to one another out of reference for Christ. He's talking to husbands and wives about a mutual subjection one to the other, right? We, again, which harkens back to Genesis, that beautiful uh, relationship they had before the fall where the, the gifts that they were given as man and woman complement each other. And it's that beautiful complementarity that images God. And he ends the whole thing in verse 31 by quoting from Genesis 2. Therefore, a man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife, and the two become one flesh, right? Which is the verse in Genesis 2, which establishes the covenant relationship between the man and the woman. And so now that we have the proper bookends, the proper framing, for understanding what Paul is saying, we don't have to be afraid what comes in the middle, right? He's a, he talks about mutual subjection in verse 21. Then he says, wives, be submissive to your husbands. And the word for submissive or subject subject to uh, in Greek is hupotasso. And hupotasso, George, is a military word. It's a word that was used by Roman soldiers to describe troops 
arranged in divisions that place themselves under the mission and direction of a leader who is typically a general. So what is St. Paul saying? Wives, place yourselves under your husband's mission. What is his mission? Paul tells us in verse 25, a husband's love your wives as Christ loved the church. How did Christ show his love for the church? He died for her. He gave his life for her. And that's St. Paul's point, that men, that our job is to die, literally to die to ourselves, to die to everything that separates us from God's love, to live our spirituality from the cross of Jesus Christ. Just the way that Christ broke himself open and poured himself out in love, that we are called as men to break ourselves open and pour ourselves out in love for our wives and children as husbands in the domestic church, the church of the home, as priests in, in the, the church family, um, and as even single men, uh, as witnesses to our culture and our society of what it means to be an authentically uh, Catholic man. Uh, and, and so Paul's saying, wives, place yourselves under your husband's mission, because his job is to, again, going back to Genesis, serve, protect, and defend you, to give his life for you. And that's why the man's the head of the family, not because he's the boss, but because he's the chief servant of his wife and children. Because Jesus makes it is very clear through Paul in Ephesians that headship and leadership and authority are rooted in service. Excellent. Excellent. And now let's go into the Catholic toolbox and take out the three practical tools for the week to take action in this area. Now, I know you already gave us some great wisdom to take action, but let's go into your three practical tools. How can we take action in this area to become better men uh, and live Catholic manhood? And some things may apply to people who aren't Christian, don't have any faith, but want to restore manhood. Um, but yeah, let's let's go for it, Deegan. Are you ready? Uh, yeah. So so the um, in, in the last chapter of my book, um, uh, I, I give uh, I go through each piece of the armor of God yeah. that St. Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter six. And I apply um, a practical tool for men. So yeah. obviously there's more than three, but I'm just give you in, in a sense, you know, my my top three, if you will. Uh, so I recommend going to the last chapter of the book and, and going through each of the pieces of the, of the armor. Um, but but I want to give you my top three, especially for our times today, for what we're going through today. So the, the one, so the three that I would pick would be first of all, a man has to gird his loins, right? So so the idea of girding your loins was how a man prepared for battle, right? So girding your loins means remember they wore those long tunics, yeah. and and when you're getting ready to to fight or in battle, you can't fight with that long tunic because you might trip over yourself yeah. right so what you do is you would you would pull the tunic up and put the excess tunic between your legs and tie it around your waist and now your legs were free your loins were girt and now you are ready for battle yeah so the spiritual thing here is a man prepares for battle by living a life of prayer you must be a man of prayer you have to pray every day because think about it how you can't get to know someone deeply personally and intimately without talking to that person right i mean you could read about like george when, when you met your beautiful wife you didn't say oh i just read about her in a book now i'm gonna marry her because i know everything about her because i read about her in a book 
no, you have to actually, you have to actually get to know the person by talking to him and engaging. And it's the same thing with, with our life with God. That's called prayer. So we have to be men of prayer. And if, and if we're married, we have to pray with our spouses. That's absolutely key. We must be men of prayer. It's not, it's not good enough to say, well, I'm just a good person, you know, because there's no good people in heaven, right? The only people in heaven are saints. And we have to have that heart time with God and, and spend that time every single day in prayer. Um, the next thing I would say is that a man has to shod his feet with the gospel of peace. And how do we find peace, especially in a very confused culture, in a very um, disjointed and disorganized world that we find ourselves in right now yeah. is through Eucharistic adoration, right? We have to, we have to make time for silence it is so adoration is so critically important uh for us that i can't even emphasize and again coming out of the pandemic and um with many bishops in the world emphasizing belief in jesus real presence in the eucharist uh, which is something at least in the united states that's very very lacking only 30 percent of catholics in the united states believe that jesus christ is actually present body blood soul divinity in the eucharist and so going to adoration and placing all of our hopes our joys our fears before the Lord and uh, allowing the Lord to work on our hearts, you know, uh, uh, allowing God, uh, allowing space in our hearts for God to enter, you know, um, Psalm 46 verse 11 says, be still and know that I am God. And the word for know there is yada in Hebrew, which is knowledge that is gained by experience. So you can translate that be still and experience God in the stillness, in the silence, in the quiet. Right and really get to know God in a deep, personal, intimate way. Uh, that's extremely important. Um, the other thing I would say uh, with uh, with regard to the this, the the practical tools would be to um, a man dons the breastplate of righteousness. And what does the breastplate protect? The chest, which protects the heart. Right. So the sacrament of reconciliation, frequent reception of God's love and, and his merciful love in that sacrament. You know, we should be going at least, at least every month uh, to the sacrament of reconciliation and in cooperating with the grace of that sacrament to be able to sustain us in our, in our spiritual journey uh, as men, to really become the husbands and fathers that, that God created and calls each one of us to be. Uh, so, so I, I'll, I'll, I'll do another one. So, so basically a prayer and adoration, I would say are, are one, yes. right? Going to the sacrament of reconciliation would be the second one. And then, um, finally, I would say, um, you know, uh, following the example of the great men of the, of the old Testament guys like David, right? Again, not perfect, but, but he had a, a, a deep passion for, for serving the Lord and witnessing to the, and we see this in the Psalms, right? Uh, that most of the Psalms, of course, were written, were written by David. Uh, so, so we see David's love and passion for the Lord. And so um, I think the, the, as a final practical tool, um, I would say the, a man draws the sword of the spirit, right? What is the sword of the spirit? St. Paul says is the word of God, right? Is the word of God. So spending time with the Lord in scripture, Right, learning about the faith, like reading the 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 art of practical Catholicism, right? You know, uh, learn learning about the faith and growing, not just so prayer grows the heart, 
but learning about the faith grows the mind. So Perusia Media has amazing resources that men can can take and learn about the faith. So for, instead of listening to political talk radio, listening to sports all the time, how about taking some time every day, 15, 20 minutes to learn something about the faith that you didn't know before? Something that'll make you become a, a better husband, a better father, right? Again, uh, um, the heroicmen.com, incredible resources, absolutely free for men. Everything, if you don't know how to pray, they have things like the basic, uh, they have a, a prayer guide, a prayer book that you can download for free. It has all the basic prayers as prayers for St. Joseph. There's no excuse why you cannot become a great man of God uh, by using the modern means of technology that we have by engaging in these resources, living a life of prayer, seeking the Lord's forgiveness and mercy and sacrament of reconciliation uh, that really helps us to truly uh, live our male spirituality in a way that is powerful, that is meaningful, um, and, and that this culture will stand up and take notice that you no, know, we're not just going to be laying down on the sidelines anymore. We're getting into the game and we're going to win. And I think we can also add to some practice. Another practical tool could be is create a rite of passage for your son or yourself. Uh, you may be at an age uh, in your early 20s. Go, uh, go on a camp or do something impossible. Uh, create a rite of passage for yourself. Build up some skills and affirm yourself in your masculinity. And also join, I think, a fraternal group within the church, or if there isn't one, because there are some parishes who, or, or Catholic communities that don't have a group, maybe start one. I'm sure there's there's plenty of men around, but there aren't any groups. So you can definitely start one. And it could be something where, uh, I mean, men like exclusivity. There's something about it. You know, they're like a little club, you know, it's men, brotherhood. Uh, um, create one if there isn't one, because we do need fraternity. We do need where we check in with each other every couple of weeks or once a month um, and we help each other out and we pray together. I, th I think these are important things that we can, the, these are great practical tools to take on, Deacon. And, um, no, you're absolutely right. I love the idea of, of the rite of patch, especially involving our sons. So I think the best thing we can do for our children as men is to be witnesses and examples of Christ for them. Yeah. Right. And you talk, you talked about building virtue. And I think um, having that fraternity uh, is that's what helps to build virtue, right? Because virtue is taking that habit and, and uh, 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 doing that good thing over and over and over again. So it becomes just part of our, our nature just comes part of who we are. It's just like a, an athlete who wants to become great or a musician that wants to become great. What do they do? They sacrifice, right? They 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 don't spend all that time on television or their social media or or on their video games and or with their friends. They sacrifice good things in order to be great. So they spend their time honing their craft, right? And so if they're a swimmer, they spend time in the weight room. They spend time running and doing calisthenics and aerobics and spending all that time in the pool. Or if they're a musician, they spend time with that instrument. Um, because you know they're trying to develop uh, uh, that beautiful skill that allows them to express themselves fully through that instrument or, or through that athletic endeavor. And it's the same thing with us in the church. The church helps us to build virtue, 
by doing good things, by sacrificing good things like alcohol and, and sex, which again, nothing wrong with those things, but when they become our God, then they become our problem, right? So when we band together as men, we help each other to build each other up in virtue. And it's virtue by doing good things habitually that really help us to truly become the men who God created and calls us to be. Not men of the culture, but men, but men of Christ. We can say with St. Paul, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I think that's the goal. Or another practical tool could be listen to Dr. Jordan Peterson. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think yeah, so, so, so there's right some there. a lot of good men out there that are giving some that are uh that I think men should be listening to, right? So um men that are challenging the culture, right? Because I mean, I think men, we need to be challenged. That's the one thing you know, men are so uh wimpy today. You look at Disney characters, the male Disney characters, or you look at some of these situation comedies on television, and men are so emasculated. They're so feminized, you know? And do you have men like Jordan Peter who are, who are willing to stand up to this culture, you know, the culture that lies to us and confuses us about gender and marriage and all these other things? Um, uh, we have men that stand up and not afraid to witness to the beauty of God's truth. You know, th th I think that's something that's inspiring. And I think that's something that young men can see, you know, that, wait a minute, you know, we, this is, this is our job. Our job is to stand up. Uh, our God given task is to stand up to serve, protect, defend. And that, you know, that we, I have to be part of that story. I just can't sit back and, 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 uh, and let the chauffeur drive. I have to take control of the wheel myself, you know, and, and uh, I have to take my God given gifts and, and the talents that God has given me uh, to make a, 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 uh, to be a powerful witness to God's love and God's truth in the world, because truth ultimately is what a person truth is Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth and the life. And it's the truth of Jesus Christ that needs to be known, loved and served in our culture. And I think strong men, strong men of virtue are the ones that will help us get there. I mean, it's, it, there's something about our culture today where, the characteristics of men seem to be quite feminine and and uh, and are very timid and I think that needs to change. I think we need to uh, I mean again, there's this toxic masculinity that people preach about. Is there an is there a genuine toxic masculinity from the past or is it uh, is it something that's overblown out of proportion? Was there in the past a toxic masculinity? that needed to be regulated? Because uh, you hear that often, Megan. Yeah, I think the the problem with the word toxic masculinity is become a, it's basically a social construct. Yeah. So basically, uh, if men actually try to be real men, open a door for a woman, try to be chivalrous, you know, uh, try to stand up for truth, and then, then, then that's toxic. Uh, no, toxic masculinity, if there, if, if there is such a thing, would be like pornography and contraception and human trafficking right and th those kinds of things would be toxic masculinity or, or those uh, things go man, against the let's say um being rude to his wife and being him the head and not contributing and uh, or doing or anything. being lazy not taking his children to mass you know yeah. that that kind of thing yeah that's toxic masculinity um because uh the man's poisoning his, his own heart against god you know, and that's what's toxic. 
And that's what uh, what brings poison into the family, into the church, and into our culture. Uh, that that kind of thinking. So that's that's why the things that we've been talking about today, George, are so important for the life of the church, and the life of the family, and quite quite frankly, for the future of our of our society. I mean, because we keep going the way we're going now, you know, um, we're going to be in a world of hurt. And the only thing that's going to be able to solve is when Jesus comes back. <laughs> you know, it just, you know, sometimes it just feels like that. Jesus, just come back now. You know, just, just come back and just claim the kingdom for the Father. You know, and, uh, but, but until that happens, we have to be the ones that that step into the breach, right? And this that step into the breach with the crucifix in the one hand and the rosary in the other hand. Where Saint Louis de Montfort says we have to be soldiers in the army on the army of Mary. Right. And so with the, the our blessed mother is our in our intercessor, um, you know, we we need to again, a, a, what a beautiful example for men. Right. Mary was the first monstrance. Right. She was the first vessel that held in the tabernacle of her womb, the body, blood, soul, divinity of Jesus. Imagine if every man looked at a woman and saw the monstrance. Right. It, what would this world be like? There'd be no pornography. There'd be no contraception or abortion. Uh, if every man looked at a woman and saw the monsters, saw what Joseph got to see every day, you know, that's where we need to get to. And we can get there, but we have to have strong men um, that are willing to work hard uh, to, 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 to be the, again, be the men who God has called them. And, and by our very nature as men, he, he's, he's called us and he's, um, uh, he, he's given us the talents and the abilities to be able to do it. We just have to have the, the courage to do it, to step up and do it. Uh, thank you very much, Deacon, for being with me here today on the Catholic Toolbox. I think you've really given us the recipe for success uh, for men and thereby society and thereby the future generations. Um, I mean, really, Catholicism is the antidote to every problem in the world. I mean, we have the answers. I mean, it's it's quite... And it's it's plain and simple right before our eyes. So thank you so much for being with me here today on the episode. Uh, and we're looking forward to having you in Sydney. Yeah, I look forward to being with you. I can't can't wait to come back to the land down under. But thanks for having me on today, George. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Um, for those who want to tune in to the podcast, go to the Catholic Toolbox wherever you get your podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast. So go to the Catholic Toolbox. And go to our website, thecatholictoolboxshow.com. That is thecatholictoolboxshow.com. Thank you for tuning in to The Catholic Toolbox, The Art of Practical Catholicism. I'm your host and founder, George Manasseh. Until next week, God bless. Take care and take action. In this era of grave spiritual crisis, it is not enough to simply know about your Catholic faith. That is why we need a Catholic toolbox to equip us with the practical skills necessary to live our Catholic faith to reach our ultimate goal, which is heaven for all eternity. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Join us every Tuesday night at 8pm for the Catholic Toolbox as we hand you the tools to go forth, live the faith and change our modern world today. Live on The Voice of Charity.